Wonderful singing this evening. Of course, tonight is an unusual service in the sense of normally on a Sunday night. Uh, we don't have uh, the change and the seating up front here and the communion uh, table pulled out and the elements there of the grape juice and the uh, unleavened bread. And of course, we know from the Bible that the unleavened bread represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that was broken for us in the The grape juice represents for us, it's a picture for us of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. And so uh, every so often, about every four or five weeks or so, we take time as a church to, and we take a whole service and we dedicate it to remembering what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us to secure uh, and really provide for us his salvation. The salvation of God is what the Bible calls it, and it's yours and it's mine. And we rejoice in that. So we take a whole service. So if tonight's your very first time on a Sunday night, this isn't necessarily normal, but it's necessary. And it's something that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ commanded that we do. Take your Bibles, if you would. Look with me to Psalm 22. The 22nd Psalm in your Bibles. We're doing a little mini-series on Wednesday nights. Um, and it's entitled Christ in the Psalms. And we're looking at some Old Testament passages, specifically in the Psalms, that are messianic. They're prophetic. Uh, the Psalms were, were penned down about a thousand years, about 1,000 years before Jesus came to earth to die for the sins of mankind. And uh, God gave words to the psalmist, and he penned them down, and we find many wonderful truths about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, in the psalms. And so, I want to look at Psalm 22 tonight. Um, when, I, when I make the statement, or I quote, uh, I, I, I'm going to quote from the Bible, and I want you to tell me um, who said it, okay? Uh, the, the statement is this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, how about, oh, oh well. I, uh, I was going to say, how about we limit it to children? But you guys are too quick. You're right with me. Hey, that's good participation. I'll take that any day. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, you're right. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Where was he at when he, when he made that statement? He was on the cross. Jesus was hanging on the cross. Um, and... Uh, In Psalm 22, over 1,000 years, or about 1,000 years before that statement was made by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the psalmist David penned it down. And really, the 22nd Psalm is prophetic. And in the 22nd Psalm, we find that we find really the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ described. He actually, in the 22nd Psalm, describes for us what Jesus Christ felt like, the emotions he was going through while he was hanging on the cross. And so on a night like tonight, where we gather to remember what our Savior Jesus Christ did for us in dying for us on the cross and giving his life and shedding his blood so that we could have life, it's a wonderful psalm to look at. I want to look at it here this evening. Um, Look with me in verse 1, and I'll read down through verse number 3. There are really several truths that we can remind us of what Jesus did for us in this uh, really profound and beautiful passage. 
Um, I noticed, first of all, in verses 1, 2, and 3, that Jesus was forsaken by God. Now, again, bear in mind why we're, why we do, why we're doing what we're doing here tonight. Jesus had said, this do in remembrance of me. I want you to partake of the elements. I want you to take of the bread, and I want you to take of the grape juice, and I want you to do it, Jesus had told us, because I want you to remember me. And so with that in mind, let's remember a few truths from this passage. First of all, I noticed Jesus was forsaken by God. Notice in verse number one of Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Here we are, a, a thousand years before Jesus was hanging on the cross, and a thousand years before, God gave these words and they were penned down. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, it's prophetic. The whole psalm is like this. But I, I can't help but noticing just very simply that Jesus was forsaken by God. When we think about the crucifixion, it's something we have to remember. Jesus, the Son of God, was forsaken by his own heavenly Father for you and for me. You know, the psalmist David, who penned down these words, wonders why God has forsaken him. And it's an interesting way that God used David to pen these things down. These were real things that were happening in David's life. I think David, at this point in his life, really felt, I think it was a legitimate question he was asking as he wrote it down. And his question was, God, why have you forsaken me? They were hard things. I don't think David exactly knew for sure that this was a messianic, messianic psalm. But it's, it, it, it's interesting how God can be working in the life of an individual, David, during a tremendously difficult time in his life. And at the same time, God is using David, a man who's going through tremendous hardship, to pen down words to describe the crucifixion of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so David wonders why God has forsaken him. And Jesus, we know, was forsaken of God because he was bearing the sins of the whole world. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, who his, who his own self, speaking of Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. You're healed. A holy God, a holy God cannot fellowship with sin. Notice in verse number 3 of Psalm 22, he says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of of Israel. That is why God forsook his only begotten son. Jesus Christ was willing to, to be forsaken so that you and I could be restored. Isn't that wonderful? Because you and I were the sinners. Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus Christ had no sin. He had never sinned. He had never had a wicked thought. And yet he was willing to take our place. He was willing to take all of our sin upon his body. And he was willing to be forsaken of the Father so that you and I could be restored in our relationship with him, our fellowship with him. Jesus was like a man, listen closely, Jesus was like a man in hell, like a person separated from God. 
And, and it is in that context, that is what he's saying. My God, my God, why hast thou, thou forsaken me? Jesus thirsted as men in hell do. And at Calvary, Jesus, who knew no sin, actually became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ. So I noticed simply, first of all, Jesus was forsaken by God. Secondly, I noticed in this psalm that Jesus was rejected by those people he came to save. On a night like tonight, we ought to remember that. Uh, we often think of his body being broken. We often think of his blood being shed, and we should. But one of the things we shouldn't forget is that Jesus, in coming to this earth, was rejected by the people he came to save. Many, many people rejected him. Notice in verse number four. It says, our fathers trusted in thee. The words are penned. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. Verse number five. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. That is, they were not ashamed. They were not disappointed. Those, and by the way, those who trust in God are never disappointed. They are never ashamed. Uh, he goes on to say in verse six, but I am a worm and no man uh, I am a, excuse me, I am a worm and no man, a reproach, a shameful disgrace is that word reproach of men, and despise, disesteemed of people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him, let God deliver him, seeing he delighted, he trusted in him. Now, the first few verses, really, that I just read, verses 4 and 5 at least, are encouraging verses. He's talking about our fathers trusted in thee. When David refers to his fathers, name some of the people he might have been thinking about. Can you name some of them? Abraham, Father Abraham. Uh, We won't sing that song tonight. But Father Abraham. And, And what's he say about these fathers? They trusted in God. And then he says it again in verse 4, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. In verse 5, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not ashamed. They were not disappointed. We could name many, I think, of the, the fathers that David might have been talking about. Abraham certainly would have been one of them. But we could even go back before Abraham. Um, we could talk about men in the Bible and women in the Bible who trusted in God. Let's name some of them. I'll start. Abel is one who trusted in God. You remember? Cain didn't. Noah trusted in God. Moses did. Joseph did. They trusted in God. How about a, can you think of a lady in the Old Testament who trusted in God? Sarah? Esther? Sarah, Esther? Rahab. How about Rahab? Ruth trusted in God. So we could go on and on. There were a lot of people in the Old Testament who trusted in God. And by the way, they were saved by the grace of God uh, uh, through faith. The grace of God and and faith in God. They trusted in God. And they're not ashamed. They're not confounded. They're not disappointed. Listen to me. You'll never be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed if you'll trust in God. Parents here, raise your children to trust in God. Don't, young people, don't trust in money. You can't trust it. Uh, don't trust in necessarily employment. Don't trust in yourself. 
You, yourself will disappoint you sometimes. Money will disappoint you. Things will disappoint you. Fame will disappoint you. If you're rooting for the University of Michigan football team, they'll disappoint you. Okay? And your Michigan State friends will disappoint you as well. There's a lot of things in life that will disappoint you, but God Almighty will never disappoint you. You can trust in him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You can trust in him with your whole heart. And so David's talking about that, and we could talk about these people like Jeremiah and Daniel and John the Baptist. Many of the forefathers of David had trusted God for deliverance. But then the psalmist and the Savior both speaking as one in this passage speak, and they, they, say a re- they really say, I'm a reproach of men, despised of the people. You can see it there in verse number six. He says, I am a worm, uh, really in the eyes of everybody around me, and no man, I'm a reproach of men, shameful. I'm a disgrace to all these people around me. And... I'm despised of the people. I'm disesteemed. They think very, very little of me. Now, these are the words of Christ. These were words of David, yes. This is where David was, but these are prophetic of the thoughts that Jesus Christ had when he was going through the trial and he was, going, he was hanging there on the cross. And you can imagine, and as God, he knew that he was going to be raised from the dead. And he knew, he knows all of the future. And he knows that he's going to rule and reign for all of eternity. But as a man, tempted in all points, like you and I are tempted. Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, looked down at the people who he, had, who he was dying for. And he says, they think so little of me. They've rejected me. The prophet Isaiah wrote, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53. The people and their leaders reviled Jesus when he was hanging on the cross and and, and really said the same words that Psalm 22 prophesied that they would say. Hold your place in in the 22nd Psalm and turn with me to Matthew chapter 27 for just a few moments. Matthew chapter 27 in our Bibles. Don't lose your place in Psalm 22. Matthew 27, here we find... Jesus is hanging on the cross in Matthew 27, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 39. Matthew 27, verse number 39, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 43. So just not many verses. Verse 39, it says, And they that passed by reviled him. Has the idea that they rebuked him. They put him in his place in their perspective wagging their heads, shaking their heads. I can't believe this this blasphemer. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. And you can imagine their laughter and their scorn. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. They're mocking him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him 
for he said, I am the Son of God. And we could go on, but I'm not going to. Look back to Psalm 22. I just wanted to notice briefly, as this psalm talks of, not only was Jesus forsaken by God, but secondly, he was rejected of men. Thirdly, I noticed that Jesus was trusting God the Father. Jesus was walking by faith. Notice in verse number 9, verse number 9 and 10, it says, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make my hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. And very simply in those two verses, we can see that Jesus was relying upon God the Father for deliverance. As the son of Mary, as a man, Jesus was required to exercise faith. Like you and I are required to exercise faith. But as the son of God, he had never been without faith. Kind of hard for us to understand. We are to follow, though, Jesus' example of faith. Jesus was trusting God the Father. Think, think about that now, tonight, when you partake of the elements, when, when they come to your row, when you take that cup that represents his blood. Remember this, when Jesus was there dying on the cross, he was trusting, he was trusting, he was trusting God the Father. Think of that. And you think with me, uh, as I'll be thinking those thoughts when we partake of the elements, Ask yourself the question, am I trusting my Father? Because my Savior did. My Savior did, and I, I can do that too. I can trust Him. Notice in verses 11 and following that Jesus suffered horrifically. Really, verses 11 down through verse 18 is the scene of Christ's crucifixion, and it really is very vividly described. Notice in verse number 11 of Psalm 22. I'll read down through verse 13. He says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening uh, and roaring lion. Now the reference to them gaping upon him with their mouths may be or can have the idea, it's a kind of an analogy of a bull snorting. And a bull is dangerous. It's a dangerous animal. And, and Jesus, as he hung on the cross, was surrounded by the high priests and the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and many of the leaders of Israel were there to watch this man be killed. Their only goal was to destroy him. Jesus had faced such a threatening scene during the middle of the night as he stood before the high priest and the representatives of official Israel. They were like angry bulls and roaring lions against him. And the effects the crucifixion had on Jesus' body are described for us in verse 14 and following. Look there, verse 14. He says, I am poured out like water. Now, what you're reading here, what we're reading here, are there the words of the Holy Spirit that God gave to David a thousand years before it actually happened. These are the thoughts and emotions that were in Jesus' body and in his mind the day he was hanging on the cross. Notice again, verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. That's a reference to the crucifixion. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. You remember how he cried out for a drink? And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And that's a reference to his death. 
For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Jesus suffered horrifically, really up to the point, Psalm 22, up to that, this period of time when Psalm 22 was penned down, which would have been about, uh, about a thousand years before Jesus was born, about 1030 B.C., I believe. Up to the point Psalm 22 is written, the cross hadn't been used by the Jews for execution or by anybody else. Now think about that. When Psalm 22 is penned down, crucifixion wasn't a part of humanity. It wasn't a part of the world. It, it wasn't a known thing. So these are amazing words. Uh, it really wasn't until centuries after Psalm 22 was penned down that crucifixion actually became a thing. Notice in verse number 18. Verse number 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. If you know the story, the, the narrative, if you know the truth about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and you know what happened to him, you know that the soldiers gambled for his clothing. David is penning these words down. I don't, I don't know that David fully understood what he was writing down. The parting of our Lord's garments was predicted. Psalm 20, or excuse me, Matthew 27, in verse 35, it says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. That's a reference to the psalm here, Psalm 22. Uh, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Notice in verse number 15, again, that plainly it says at the end there that the suffering man dies. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. In verse 19 and following, it tells us that Jesus overcame death. Look there, verse number 19. Verse number 19, it says, be, but, be thou, uh, but, but, excuse me, but be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling. So there's, these are affectionate words. Words of love from the power of the dog. Verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto, the, unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, speaking of Israel, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction, uh, affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. And we read very simply in those verses that Jesus overcame death. Jesus Christ was granted deliverance. In Psalm 16, not many uh, psalms away, I'll read in Psalm 16 in verse number 10. Psalm 16 in verse number 10. Another psalm that's prophetic, it says this, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was delivered. He overcame death. In verse number 25 and following, we're told that Jesus ministered to the needs of mankind. He provided for our needs in his death. Verse 25, it says this, My praise shall be 
of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. He's talking about salvation. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. We see the risen Christ ministering to the needs of mankind. Those who are meek, he says. And those who seek the Lord, he says, will, quote, eat and be satisfied. And what he's talking about is everlasting life. It's just amazing to me that while Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he was thinking about the meek who would seek him. He was thinking about the humble who would receive him as their personal savior and who would taste of everlasting life. What an amazing, what amazing insight into the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. All the worlds, he says, all the worlds shall remember. He's speaking about what happened on the cross and at the empty tomb. And he says, and turn unto the Lord in verse 27. You see, there's coming a day when all the kindreds of the nations shall worship Christ. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to be set up. And these verses refer to the ministry of Christ in saving souls. But also, they refer to his kingdom at his second coming. Very quickly and finally, I want to notice that Jesus will be served. Jesus will be served. Notice in verse 29. And they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. You see, all the dead, all the dead will someday bow before him. Philippians talks about that. Paul talked to the church at Philippi about that, didn't he? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That was on the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ that day that he hung on the cross. He's talking about a race of men will serve him in verse number 30. What's What's he talking about there? He's talking about everyone who will be in Christ. We talked a little bit about that this morning, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, bond and free, rich and poor, men and women, adults and children, all who are in Christ will worship him and glorify him. People yet to be born will, uh, will be told that he hath done this, is what he, he thinks, is what he's saying. And, and that is done to this day, by the way. Every time we gather, we're fulfilling, and and when we talk about his death and burial and resurrection, we're fulfilling this prophecy. This is the preaching of the gospel, and every time you tell the old, old story, it's a fulfillment of this prophecy. The last phrase of Psalm 22, and we'll end with this, has been compared by many to the last words of Jesus on the cross. It says this, He hath done this, speaking of God. And it has a very, it's in the Hebrew, um, written in the Hebrew, but it has a very similar meaning to the Greek statement, it is finished, to telestai. He hath done this, and it is finished, are very, very similar in their meaning. 
And I love how that psalm ends with that. Because after he contemplates all that's happening, uh, it ends with basically, it is finished. God has done this. The gospel is going to be preached. God is going to be worshipped. God, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to minister to these people who are going to be saved in the future. Yes, he suffered. Yes, he died. Yes, he was rejected. Yes, he was forsaken. But all for a purpose, so that you and I could be saved. And God the Father could be glorified for who he is as Lord of lords and King of kings. The creator of the ends of the earth, who is worthy of our worship and our praise. Let's take our hymnals and go to hymn number 359.